You correctly sang this morning that he will reign forever. You just said those words. He will reign forever. And those words are absolutely 100% true. My question for you is whether he's reigning over you this morning. Whether he already has control of you. That's the question that really matters for us this morning. We're not beholding our God and the glory of who he is and seeking to honor and worship him and allowing him to rule in our hearts. Those words are still true. He will reign forever. But I don't think you'll be as excited about it when it comes. This morning, I want to just, before I jump in real quickly, I would just, uh, I know this is a church that loves to pray, and I'd love to have your prayers for my, on my behalf and my family's behalf. We are heading out this afternoon. We're supposed to be in Kentucky by tonight, and uh, we are going to be spending the week, our whole family, at Bethel Camp in Kentucky, taking a few campers with us, but um, I'm supposed to be talking to a group of fourth to sixth graders this week, and we got a couple campers in our family and just helping out in different ways there, so... If you would pray for us, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, those are lots of fun times, but they're also times of uh, some stress and uh, busy times. And of course, we're going to come back home and got to pay attention to what's happening here next weekend too. So uh, just pray for us if you would. Now open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. We're going to continue our way through the letter that Paul wrote. I entitled my message this morning, Concluding Exhortations. We have come to the end of the letter, and what we're going to see from here on out to the rest of the letter, what feels like or seems like just a bunch of rapid-fire uh, sort of statements that Paul is going to make. Now, he's taken some time and, and worked through a couple of statements and, and, and held us with a couple of things and, and kind of dug deep, and it may seem as a bit of a, a change in tact as he switches now. And he gets, if you read through from verse 12 in chapter 5 to the end of the chapter, it's, you're really just getting a bunch of short phrases, a bunch of short commands or exhortations. And I'm hoping that as we work through them, we're going to see that they do tie together. The, these exhortations, they're not just sort of randomly thrown out there for something for you to think about, but they do tie together. And I would submit to us that what the, the main part of what Paul has been thrusting towards is, I, I led you to, to see here uh, from the text at the end of chapter 3, he was setting the stage, and all the way through chapter 4, and thus far in chapter 5 for us, he was setting the stage that we would be a group of believers that are bound together, that are growing in love for each other, and that are growing in our holiness and readiness for the return of Christ. We use this phrase that we are to be awake and we are to be sober. We are to be aware that Jesus is going to be returning at any moment, ready for that return, and, and thinking soberly about that. Our hearts and our minds prepared for that. And I would submit to you that in some ways, these concluding exhortations are really Paul putting some flesh uh, to being awake and sober. In other words, if you might, you might look at it this way, that when Paul included us in this instruction that says that we are to be awake and sober, ready for the return of Christ, he's now going to give us some clues, some shoe leather. Uh, if we would ask the question, what does that mean? I think he's going to tell us now what that's going to mean. So these exhortations aren't just some random thing he's thrown into the mix and said, well, I've got a little bit of paper left, so let me just jot a few things down and say, ah, here you go, put these things out there. No, no, I think he's actually telling us, if you want to know what it looks like, here are some ways you can know. 
So let's read together. If, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading verse 12. We're just going to read uh, a couple of verses this morning. 12, 13, and 14. He says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Lord, thank you so much for your text this morning. Thank you for this letter that you've given to us. We honor your word this morning. We recognize these are words you've given to us for our instruction, for our good, to equip us so that we are ready to do every good work, to help us rightly understand how to live with you and with each other. So we receive them this morning, God, just like that. We ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, for we know that there's no other way to find correct application and understanding. I should have flipped those around, but either way, it's the same. A correct understanding and application of your word than when your Holy Spirit helps us, God. So be here this morning and doing exactly that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully we will see this morning that these, uh, these three verses are actually uh, two sort of uh, paired thoughts that Paul is going to stand up next to them, uh, next to each other, and help us see how this fleshes out. And I'm, I'm going to make this statement now, and I'll probably make it at the end again, so you'll hear it two times. But these are, as we work through these, these are verses that are really meant for all of us. So hopefully by the end, by the time we get to the end, you'll understand what I mean by that. But these are verses, or more, more understand that, but they're verses meant for all of us. But we're going to divide them up this way, verses 12 and 13, and then we'll look at verse 14, standalone. We're going to set them up next to each other, make a parallel. He starts verse 12 with this. We ask you, brothers. He's asking something of them. Now, if we are looking at this today in our world, we would tend to look at these verses and we would say these appear to be addressed to what we would call the laity of the church. Now, that's kind of a church word. So uh, when I use the word laity, what does that mean? Who, who is the laity of the church? Somebody want to help out with the definition of what you, what, what does it mean to be part of the laity or who is part of the laity or what's a lay person? Somebody said something, but I didn't quite catch it. Members, okay, yeah. What were you going to say? Okay, so people who are part of the local assembly, when we say, use the word laity, it's not a word we use very often, actually. When we use the word laity, when I use that this morning, it's referring typically to just those that make up the congregation. So not people in leadership roles, not people in, you know, not the pastor, not the elders, not, not the trustees kind of people, but the people that are part of the, just the body. You're here week in, week out. You're, you're part of what's going on. And we would often look at these verses addressed to the laity. And so he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who are over you, to, uh, who, sorry, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in, the, in love because of their work. Now, let me make a couple of comments about this, and I'm going to start off with a couple of definitions of words you see there. First of all, the word for respect, that's what the ESV translates there. Uh, we respect, we ask you to respect those. That word is simply the word ido. It's used all the time in the New Testament. It, it means to see, to see something, or to know something. I think in this context, it's appropriate to just uh, frame that word as acknowledge. We want you to acknowledge those who are laboring among you and are over you, and are admonishing you. 
and to esteem them. Both of those words are going to be paired together, by the way. To idol, to see them, to know or to acknowledge them. So um, I don't, there is another word that has to do with respect, which means to give like honor in some way. It's not that word he's using. I think he's simply saying, we want you to acknowledge that there's people who are uh, doing this work among you. The second word is the word for, uh, in the English, or in the ESV translation, the word for esteem in verse 13. To esteem. This is also an interesting word because it's not no, a normal word that you would use for honor. Again, it's not, it's not, it's not, that's not quite what he's trying to bring across, I don't think. The word is actually hegeami, and again, it's used but it means to lead or to deem, to assign to something. Um, so I think he's just asking that we would esteem, or that's a good word in the ESV, or to acknowledge certain groups of people that are among you. Now again, I want to be careful because when I use the word laity, and when I use sort of, uh, we're going to sort of look at some categorizations maybe, and you might say, well, these are the, you know, we're making distinction between the leaders of the church and those that are just down here, the, the normal people, so to speak. But I want you to understand, very early on when we started going through Thessalonians, I think the very first Sunday, in fact, remember I said something to you that this was one of the earliest pieces of New Testament writings we have. It comes before the Gospels. It comes before lots of uh, the other writings, certainly one of the earliest of Paul's writings. I think we should see, we should back off a little bit of that sort of this distinction we're making between, you know, the established leadership of the church and just the lay people because we want to understand that when Paul wrote this, the, if I can use this phrase and not sort of use all these big words you don't understand, but the, the ecclesiastical structure of the church, and by that I just mean like pastors and elders and, and, and sort of the bishops and the overseers and like those things didn't really exist yet. I mean, they had leaders, no question about that. Paul's very clear. He went around, he established churches and put leaders in place. But the, as we would think of the structure of a church didn't really exist yet. So to apply these verses back into that context and say, well, Paul is saying that you need to clearly recognize that there's some people up here and some people down here. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. So what is he saying? He's saying that we should acknowledge and esteem with love. That, that, that phrase is actually applied to both, the respect and the esteem, the acknowledge and the esteem. In love, those who are working among you, those who are, who, are, uh, who are doing things among you. And he gives us three categories of people. Now, some people take the three categories and say these are three distinct uh, groups of people that are doing things. And some people say, well, these are three distinct ways that people are doing things in the church. It could be the same people. I don't think it really matters. Because all he's really trying to see is that there's things that are happening among the local body of believers that as a group, you should be aware of. Who are these people? Who are these people that we should respect and esteem or acknowledge and uh, deem worthy or, or, or recognize in some way. Well, here's the three categories. The first is the category of people or the people who are doing this kind of thing. And he uses the word labor, those who are laboring among you. Now, clearly, I want you to see the reality of this. Clearly, that's not just the leadership, right? Because there's lots of people doing things. In fact, sometimes some of the hardest working people aren't recognized up here ever at all. When I say up here, I mean like that's who you think of as the leaders. You know you have someone who stays every week and makes sure the church is locked up. And most times he's actually walking, they are walking, but most times it's Kermit, walking through these aisles and picking up all the trash that you all left behind when you left the sanctuary. Because we have a Hispanic group that meets here for service on Sunday afternoons. And he thinks it would be nice if they wouldn't have to walk in with stuffling. 
So I would suggest that one way you could acknowledge that would be to verbally acknowledge it, but you could also recognize that he does some work here after you all leave. Maybe you could make his job a little easier by cleaning up after yourself. There's lots of, there's people that come in for early in the morning and they make coffee for you. There's people that clean up otherwise. I'm not going to be able to list all the things. But one of the reasons I would reject that this is some kind of like leadership and normal people thing is because this word simply carries the idea that those who are tired from their service. You know, there's people who have taught our children week after week and probably year after year in this Sunday school wing. And then they come here and have church and most people don't even know that or recognize that. You should acknowledge and esteem and deem worthy and honor and love those who are working hard among you. Those who are working hard among you, who are putting forth effort, who are here and committing themselves to being here, who are, you know, we all have things we can do, right? Yesterday when we were all on this bike ride and we got all this respect and all this honor for all these people that pedal all these miles and, and, and raised all the support. By the way, huge shout out to all of you who actually gave money because that's where it came from, right? They put forth physical effort, but you guys opened your pocketbooks and shared money. But you know, Joe and Rhoda were driving a van around with a whole bunch of, with some bikes in the back and, and bringing food and snacks to us and, and, and swapping out bikes when we had flat tires and just driving from spot to spot and spent their entire day pretty much following a bunch of people around. Not a lot of glory in that. Not a lot of recognition in that. I'm sure they had other things they could have done yesterday. My point is simply, we all have lots of things that take our time, right? But Paul is saying acknowledge those people who are willing and giving time and effort and energy of their lives for the sake of the body, for the sake of the local body. Because they're paying a sacrifice. There's all kinds of things they could be doing. They could be improving the home at home. They could be working more hours. They could be focusing on their hobby. They could be accumulating other things for themselves, but they're giving of their time and working hard here because they think it's worth it. Well, let me just keep working, walking through the list. I spent a lot of time with the first one. He does say those who are over you in the Lord, but again, this word is an interesting word. The word is proistemi. You don't need to know that word. It simply means to stand in front of you, but it's used in a couple of different ways in Scripture. Because that is a word that has to do with rank. So the, 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 the thing that, that come first, or the, the, the foremost things. It's actually used sometimes of things, not just of people. Let me give you an example of that. When you flip into your Bible to, you don't have to, but I'm going to read the verse for you. In Titus chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this to Titus. This saying, or I'm sorry, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And you might say, where did that word show up in there? It's the word devote. That people who believe in the gospel might be careful to devote themselves or rank themselves or put the most important things first. And in that context, it fits in exactly with what Paul is talking about here, doesn't it? Because it's people who are saying that the work of the church is of foremost importance. They're putting the rank in front. Now, it is often used in terms of people who are actually in positions of leadership. For example, in 1 Timothy, when Paul is talking about leaders of the church, he says this. Let me get the right reference here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. This is an elder, an overseer, one who's leading a church. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
There's that word. The word actually, that, in that case, is the word manage, to be in front of his family, to be leading his family and be putting an importance there, uh, uh, making, making sure that he's paying attention to his own children and his own family. One more reference as Paul uh, refers to in Romans chapter 12 as he's listing out gifts. And here he actually calls it more of a, of a gifting or a position in the church. Romans chapter 12. Let me flip over there real quickly and read these verses to you. As he looks at the different places or positions or uh, places people contribute to the church. He says in Romans 12 verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We all have different gifts according to the grace that God gives us. Let's use them. And he gives some examples. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, and there's the word, proestami. The one who is in front. The one who is in the foremost rank. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In any case... Those who labor among you, those who are standing in front of you, those who are devoting themselves to the work of the church, we are to acknowledge and we are to esteem them. Let me give the third category of things that are happening or people that are doing things, those who admonish you. The Greek word here, admonish, it comes across many times as a word of uh, maybe criticism or a word of, of correction in a negative sense, but the word admonish simply is the Greek word nutheteho, which means to bring to mind. That's what it means, to bring to mind. So it's those who are bringing things to your mind, particularly, of course, Paul's implication is things of God to mind, things of Scripture to mind, ways of honoring Jesus to mind, ways of saying, well, that's not what a believer should be doing. This is what a believer should be doing. Those who are admonishing you, those who are bringing to mind the things of the Lord. Those are the people that you should acknowledge and that you should esteem. They're working hard among you. They're devoting themselves to the things of the church. And they are reminding you of ways to be faithful. They are in that sense, whether they have a position of leadership or not, they are in that sense leading you in faithfulness to Jesus. Where you see people fitting those criteria, friends... I think you should acknowledge them. I think you, just, you should esteem them. It's really, really easy. It's really easy to criticize those who are leading, to criticize those who are taking the forefront, to put those, criticize those who are putting in the work. It's really easy to find things wrong. You know why? Why is it easy? I can just use myself. Why is it easy for you to criticize me or to point out things that I'm doing wrong? Come on, it's obvious. Because I do some things wrong, right? I do, come on, come on, are you awake? I do some things wrong. I do. I make mistakes. So it's easy to point those out because I'm the one that you, I'm doing them and I'm right in front of all of you doing them. Nevertheless, Paul says, you should acknowledge those people and esteem them for they're actually leading you in faithfulness. They're actually doing something, right? They're committing themselves. They're working hard. They're laboring among you. They're devoting themselves. They're putting the right things first. Notice that Paul is making a very, very strong case here. Let's just not slip by our, our attention this morning. Notice Paul is making a very, very strong case here for the importance of the local church and the work in the local church. It's worth you giving of your time and your energy and your gifts and your talents and your money and all other stuff that's involved there. It's worth it. That's really what he's saying behind here. Now, 
I want you to see that this is actually something that Paul himself was doing. Paul is almost always like this. When he stresses something in his writings, he can almost always point to himself and say, I was doing this. I was doing this. It, it, it works better that way, right? It works better that if the leaders and those that, uh, that are exhorting you to faithfulness are actually being faithful themselves, right? It doesn't work very well for them to, to say, hey, you all should be more holy, and they do whatever they want to. It doesn't work for you to say, hey, honor those who are working hard among you when they're not willing to work hard among you. Paul wrote these words as he met with the Ephesian elders in chapter 20 of Acts. He says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You can read the whole passage. I just picked out two verses because a couple of verses later, he says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul paid that price himself, which is why he could stand in front of people and why he could write letters to people and say, this is who you should esteem. This is what you should strive after. This is who you should acknowledge and lift up in honor. Those who are working hard among you, putting the right things first, are admonishing you, bringing things to mind. By the way, I didn't even point this out about admonish, but let me quickly do this yet because I see it in my notes and I want to make sure that, again, I, I convince you that Paul is not making some class distinction between leaders and just the normal, quote-unquote, lay people in the church. In Romans chapter 15, verse 14, he says this, I myself am satisfied, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. That word instruct is the word nutateho, admonish. So he says, by the way, you don't need me to be there. I'm confident that you're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. And all of you are able to admonish or instruct each other. Remember last week we talked about the fact that this, uh, we, we're building each other up. And it's a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing a lot of times. That discipleship is one-on-one. -on -one, and guess what? That takes a lot of energy. Takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of work, takes putting things first, it takes putting other things back on the back shelf. We're all able to do that. When we're following Jesus, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're able to do that. The question is, which ones of us are doing it? And Paul says, you should acknowledge and honor those who are doing it among you. Lift that up as the ideal. That way we are not allowing ourselves to sit among each other and say, well, I'm perfectly fine not doing anything or contributing anything or not being part of the body at all because it's okay. But we're honoring those. We're, we're, we're lifting up that as the ideal. Now, let's flip the script around a bit. I was going to read this reference too. You can go look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul talking about him and how hard he worked among the believers. I'm going to skip past that and keep on going. He says, we ask this of you, and now he turns right around and says, we urge you, brothers. By the way, you want one more time for me to say that this is not a, some kind of distinction? Look at both phrases he said. If he's talking to the lay people, the first part, he says, we ask you, and he calls them what? Brothers. And now if you're going to flip it around and say, well, now he's talking to the leaders, which you could do that, by the way. You could say, well, now he's talking to the leadership side of the equation. What does he call them? We urge you. So Paul makes no distinction. Now, by the way, I hope you understand that every time you see the word brothers, uh, adelphos is the Greek word in the New Testament. It's referring to brothers and sisters. It's not just referring to brothers because he's referring to the church at, at large, siblings. We urge you, brothers, and now he's going to come again with, a, uh, with, with, with three things that they should be doing. And again, to make sure that you know there's no distinction, look at the very first one. We urge you, brothers, to do what? To admonish, using the exact same word, to bring to mind, to, to bring to mind some things. And he talks about these people who are the idol. This is a very interesting word. Admonish the idol. 
This is, by the way, the only time that I could find, that I could see in the entire New Testament that this word in this form is used in all the New Testament. So when I see things like that, it doesn't, I, I don't care for it that much. Sorry, Holy Spirit. I don't care for that that much because it's hard to help give the rest of Scripture to interpret how to, how to, how to, how to bring this word to play. Because usually what I do is I look at other places it's used and say, well, this is, what it, this is how it's used. So together we're going to form. So we don't have that ability this morning. We are to admonish the idol. This word is sometimes translated unruly, disobedient, depending on what translation you're reading, lazy or idle in this case. The word really means those who uh, are dis- disordered in some way, or unarranged is what it, what it means, to be unarranged. There are a few places where a different form of that word is used. For example, in, in the second letter, Paul uses it with the Thessalonians, which tells me something. But in the second letter, he uses it twice, actually, in chapter 3. He says this, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. It's not the exact same word, but it's a form of that word. And not according with the traditions that you've received from us. A couple verses later, he says, We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So there is some sense of not being actively engaged. Now, just think about what we talked about in the last set of things, right? He says, what should we honor in the local church? What should we esteem and lift up in the local church? Those who are working hard among you. Those who are putting the first things first. Those who are doing what they ought to be doing and contributing and giving of their gifts. So now flip it around because now what he's saying is bring to mind those people who are not doing that, right? Bring to mind, warn those who are not participating. Warn those who are busy doing other things or maybe not busy doing anything at all. Admonish those. Bring to mind that this is not the way of Christ. Now, I would want to make one more comment about this phrase here because I think sometimes we interpret that as people who are just making, just just sort of freeloading all the way through. I think when we see all three phrases, by the time we're going to put all three phrases up here, all three ways that we're supposed to be, that Paul is urging us to be used in the body, I think we're going to see that there's a picture emerging all of people who want to follow Jesus, but they're struggling to do that. They want to be faithful to Jesus, but they're struggling. This hits home, right? Because that's us sometimes. We want to be faithful. We want to do what Jesus, but we're struggling. I would suggest that perhaps we should interpret this word literally as broadly as possible as we can, and literally, where we say we're to admonish the idol, we're supposed to bring to mind those who, this is a, this is, I'm just going to use the phrase altogether, those who can't keep it all together, who can't, who can't keep it, you know, there's people like that, right? We want to follow Jesus, but there's just all this stuff in our lives, and all these distractions, and all this, like, it's just hard to keep it, to, to hold it all together, to keep it all arranged. And these are all words, I think, of encouragement. We don't come down with a hammer on those people and say, well, get your life together. No, we bring to mind what some things are they could maybe remove from their life or how to, how to stay focused or what things to make sure that come first in life. If you got all this stuff going, make sure you know what should come first. Your devotion to Christ, your, your devotion time, your reading of the word, your prayer time. It's those things that give you the strength to walk through and make the right decisions for the rest of the rest of, of the day, right? That's what he's talking about, I think, when we're going to see all this together. It's to, just to make sure that we are willing to bring to mind those people who just, they want to, but they just can't quite keep it all together. He uses this phrase now. This one's a little more straightforward. Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those whose hearts are 
weary and weak. Notice again how he's flipping it around, right? He's talking about those who are working hard, esteem that. But then he's recognizing that there's those who are discouraged. There's those of us who have gotten to a place where we said, I've given and I've given and I just want to rest for a while. I'm just discouraged. And it is discouraging, right? Because guess what? In this messy stuff of discipleship, does everyone always just sort of figure it out and flip their life around and off they go and, and they're on this chart of growth that is just unparalleled? Or do they still sometimes mess up and they still sometimes choose to walk away? Do they sometimes say, yeah, that was great and I tried it for a couple weeks, but it didn't work out too well? And how does that leave us feeling when that happens? You see, in our flesh and what the world would say is that based on the outcome, then we're just going to stop doing those things. But the kingdom of God would say that faithfulness to him is based on being obedient to what he's asking us to do, not based on the outcome of what's happening with the person we're working with. So we continue and we encourage. We say words of encouragement. We exhort. We, we, we say, keep going. I know it looks hard. I know, it. I know the results. I know the ground is hard, right? Like you're working that ground and it's difficult. There's a ton of weeds there. It looks overwhelming. You're never going to get this on a straight path. You've tried, you've faced this person how many times to face the right direction and it doesn't take but a day or so and suddenly they're off and looking at this again and then they're frustrated because their life is falling apart. But we encourage you, don't give up. Be sure that God is faithful and when, when the pressures from the enemy come and the world come, again, don't give up. It's worth being faithful to Jesus. It may not always appear that way. You may feel like you're forsaking a whole bunch of things that everyone else gets to have and do. You may feel like it's not worth it. Like, Jesus, I've tried to live for you, and it just seems like it's just hard. But we encourage the faint-hearted. We look around. Just like we're looking around and finding those who are working hard among us, we look around and find those who are discouraged, and we encourage them. We say, you know what? The prophet Isaiah, we're going to reach way back in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah said these wonderful words. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Encourage the faint-hearted. And then, of course, the next phrase is even more easy to figure out what it means because it's pretty literal. Help those who are weak. Help those. It's a wonderful phrase, by the way. The word help is this Greek word that, that visualizes the setting up of something opposite to something else which is a beautiful picture. The setting up of something against something else because it's there to support. It's when this is leaning and is about to fall that you put something underneath here to stabilize it. It's the picture of, of Aaron and I'm not gonna, I, am I getting that right? Moses with Aaron and her. Is that the right thing? Thank you. Moses with Aaron and her and the lifting up of the hands when the battle is happening, right? Because his arms are getting weary and there's someone there to stand there and lift up, to, to be the stabilizer, to be the, 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 the opposite standpoint. Listen, look around. We have people like that among us all the time who are feeling frail and weak and not sure if they can take the next step, not sure if they can make it through the next week of faithfulness. Be someone who's going to stand up there and, and, and prop up underneath them and help the weak person, the weak brother, the weak sister. Now, you notice there's two phrases I left out, and I'm going to come back again and just say, 
Brothers and sisters, these words for Paul, they're not just like we can say, well, here's the, 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 the lay people and here's what you should do. Look up to those people and respect those over you and just you know, put yourself in line underneath them. And then to the, the, the people up here, the leadership is saying, well, look down to those people and make sure you get them to do the right things. No, this is to all of us. He uses two phrases that are actually parallel phrases. He ends each of his exhortations. We ask you, brothers, and he asks them to do some things. And he says, if you're finding people who are working hard, you're finding people who are putting effort in, honor them, esteem them. And then look what he says. Be at peace among yourselves. Why do you think, it's, why do you think he says that, by the way? Let me just take a quick step aside. Why do you think he says that? Why does he say when you are looking around for people who are working hard and really putting things for, why, why be at peace among yourselves? I don't know for sure, but I, it occurs to me this week as, I, as I'm studying for this and reading through this, it occurs to me how easy it is for us that when we are looking at people who are contributing or who have some kind of position or some, uh, they're, 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 and they're being recognized, and the first thing that does in, in some of us, in us sometimes, I just say some of us, the first thing it does in us sometimes is it makes us jealous over those people. It makes us resentful over those people. It's why we take pot shots when someone comes and gives a strong word of encouragement to someone else and we find right away some reason, well, that, that was... Blah, blah, blah. That's not good stuff inside of us, friends. Be at peace among yourselves. You know, it's perfectly good. In fact, it's right according to Scripture to lift up and honor and celebrate when God is working through someone else within your body. To celebrate that there's good things happening. This is not a competition, friends. Like we're not competing against each other to see who can do the most for the body and get the most recognition. It's not a competition. Honor those people. Be at peace among yourselves. Lift them up. That's the ideal. That's, that's where we all should aspire to be. And then he flips that around because he says, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm urging you, brothers, to, to look around for those who need help, who can't keep it all together, who are struggling, their heart is, is failing in courage, their strength is failing, in, and their, their bodies are failing in strength, to look around and, and to lift them up. And by the way, don't you dare look down your nose at them and think, would you just get it together? Be patient with them all. I understand. I live with you and I know, believe me, I know how easy it is to see the stuff other people struggle with and how easy it is to forget about your own stuff. But this is all so simply dealt with in one question. Do you have it all together? Do you have it all together? then why do you expect anyone else to? Be at peace among yourselves and be patient with them all. When I highlight things in my Bible sometimes to aid me as I'm preaching through, and I'm, this is how my brain works. I'm highlighting things that are sort of the main points we want to hit and some of the sub-points we want to hit. I have a blue marker, it's a dry highlighter is actually what it is. I have a blue marker that I mark things in my Bible that I think are for application. And I have those phrases circled in my Bible right here. These two phrases. These are things for application. Now, of course, the other ones are too, right? You can look for people who are working hard. But these, I think, is where it comes to. This is, this is, the, this is the, the test of the interior of our heart. Be at peace among yourselves and be patient with them all. 
Celebrate the good things God is doing among those people you go to church with. Recognize that. Honor that. And be patient with those that go to church with you that just can't quite seem to get it all together. Help them. Instead of looking down your nose at them, help them. Say, maybe I can give an hour of my week every week to help them call to mind the ways of Christ to lift up their drooping hands, to encourage their heart that's just losing courage, that's, that's discouraged right now. Maybe instead of talking about them to someone else about how bad they're doing, maybe I could give an hour of my time. Recognizing, recognizing my own frailty, my own feeble work for Jesus. Joe, you read these words, and they're in my sermon this morning. I'm going to read part of them again. I'm not going to read the whole section, but I will read part of them again. Given that these words, I believe, are to the entire church, I think it would be appropriate to read two passages as we close this morning. The first is the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he says this, you walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and you do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But what I think ties together even more these phrases that were dealt with in Thessalonians here is Paul's words to the church at Colossae. And this is a little longer section. You can turn there if you'd like to in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Because there again, he's addressing the entire body of Christ. And he's saying what life should look like with each other. Here's what he says, brothers and sisters. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God, thank you for your text this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's help in walking through the text. I pray that you have given us understanding this morning. I pray that you uh, will have helped us to see the text and to, and to feel the uh, sense, get a sense of the encouragement, the exhortation, what Paul is asking of the Thessalonian believers, and in turn, what you are asking of us today. I pray, God, that you would give us a desire, that's where it's going to begin, a desire in our hearts to be the body of Christ, to love the people that you've given to worship together here at Riverview, to be the body of Christ with another, a desire to acknowledge and esteem those who are putting in effort and working and and putting the the church and the needs of the church first and foremost. And then also to look around and recognize and see those that may be struggling and to say, I can help out in this. I can be an encouragement. I can bring some things to mind. I can, I can walk with this brother or sister. I can, I can stand up opposite to them and I can help support them where they're, where they're weak. 
Oh, and I can do it with grace and with humility for that's how you deal with me, Father. So it begins with that desire, but then I pray, God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. For it is only when your Holy Spirit is here and active and we've surrendered to him that we have the ability to actually carry out these things that you're asking of us. That we will actually be the church. That we will really be a dwelling place being built together as a dwelling place for your Holy Spirit. A place where your Spirit resides. Where you, God, in all your glory and your power and your might and your mercy and your grace and your holiness and your justice and your right righteousness where you yourself dwell. Make us into that kind of body, God, by your Holy Spirit. Form us and fashion us. Remove that which is wicked from us. Give us love for one another. Give us hearts that love you, that are surrendered to you, so that we might also be submitted one to another. Give us eyes to see where you are working and to celebrate that and where you want to work and to join that. God, we give you praise and glory. This is a tall order. This is a tall order for us, God. But we want to follow after you and know that you will equip us and do in us what we could never even fathom that we could do. May it be so. May your name be glorified. May you use us as your tool. May you fashion us and form us as a vessel fitting, used by you. Oh, this is just a frail vessel. It's, there, it's that way to show that this all-surpassing glory comes from you and not from us. God, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.